Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we have a very special guest. We're joined today by Sydney Barrows, who's had quite an interesting career and is a wonderful human being as well. Um, she's known, her, her story, maybe she'll tell a little bit about it, but um, she's known as the Mayflower Madam um, from her days of running an escort service, and uh, she'll talk about that a little bit. But from that experience, she wrote a book that was in, uh, went to the top of the New York Times bestsellers list. What was the name of your book? I'm sorry, I should already have Mayflower that. Madam, The Secret Life of Sidney Biddlebowers. There we go. So, And the Fortune List uh, named it one of the top ten business books of the year, and including business schools, including Harvard, use it in their curriculum. So she's also got another book. I guess it's number four in the series because you've been producing so much. Uh, it's called Uncensored Sales Strategies, which was co-authored with Dan Kennedy, a lot of people listening to the call may be familiar with. Um, Dan Kennedy is just a very, very well-known uh, business coach, marketer, um, and that was in 2009. And now you're kind of a sales choreography guru, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yeah. So, um, and then once again, she's agreed to join us on the call. Tell us a little bit about her experiences and some of the secret sauce in what she does. And um, just thank you so much, Sydney. I, I always appreciate talking to you. Um, My pleasure. You're such a interesting character in so many ways such a good human um yeah we just get along so well so how are you doing today what's going on i'm doing great it's uh you know it's the day before thanksgiving and uh it is snowing here in am i supposed to say that it's snowing here in manhattan i'm not quite sure how much we're going to get but i just am very grateful that i just have to get on a train and take like a half an hour trip tomorrow down to my brothers for thanksgiving instead of getting on an airplane like a lot of people which are who are not going to end up going anywhere because so many flights have been canceled Mm, right 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 yes um, yeah, no, I, see, for me, a lot of people, um, a lot of people, like, I'm in America, so a lot of people, they're like, yeah, you know, they've just been living their lives and coming to this, but I'm Canadian, and we had Thanksgiving last month, so I've actually been looking forward to this for a month. It's been like with those Christmas calendars. <laughs> you get open, two of them. That's right. Well, no, I didn't get, I didn't get it. I just got to enjoy the photos of all my friends and family enjoying Thanksgiving dinner, so I've been dreaming of turkey for 30 mm-hmm. nights. Like, it's just How been. How come you didn't go home? Well, because it's Canada. I just was busy. It just wasn't on the, it just wasn't a priority. I mean, it's, it's dinner. I'm going to go home for Christmas anyways. I'm going to go oh, home for two, three okay. weeks, so. But um, anyway, so Sydney, I know right off the bat, people are like, what? She did what? Like, that's just such a <laughs> patent interrupt. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about your story, how you got started into it? And um, and yeah, let's just get going with that. That's a good place to okay. start. Well, I started out in a lot of people, where I really started out was in retail. And I was on the executive training program at Abraham Strauss, which at the time was the jewel in the crown of uh, Federated Department Stores, which is now known as Macy's. And uh, one of the best best things that ever happened to me is while I was there, uh, they absolutely sent the whole place down the toilet, which was it, – it was so um, instructive to watch how they ruined a business rather than to just be somewhere where it was 
doing well. Right. Anyway, so I, that's where I started. Uh, then I went and worked for May Company Corporate and um, – uh, ended up at a small resident buying office where I ended up getting fired because I refused to participate in a kickback scheme. You know, I'm, I might be a little crazy, but I'm not dishonest. <laughs> and so there I am on the unemployment line. And back then, you actually had to show up once a week in person at a certain time. And uh, there was another gal who had to report at the same time I did. And because, you know, being unemployed gets real old after a while. Uh, and, you know, you, all your friends are working and you don't have a whole hell of a lot of money to do anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we started hanging out together. And one day, are you getting feedback? No, no, we're good. I'm good. Oh, okay, because I'm hearing myself uh, on a delayed thing. Okay. So anyway, one day it was my turn to go down to her apartment in Greenwich Village. And I walked in the door and there she was unpacking a brand new stereo. And I knew she didn't have any more money than I did which I think maybe was like $175 a week back then. And uh, so, of course, I wanted to know where she got it, and she didn't want to tell me, which, of course, made me even more curious. I mean, I said, you know, <laughs> did it fall off the back of a truck or what? I mean, you know, this is New York City. Can I get one too? And so finally, she stopped what she was doing, and she looked at me very seriously. She said, Sydney, do you swear you won't tell anyone? I said, I swear. She said, I answer the phones for an escort service. I said, oh, What's an escort service? I, I really I didn't have a clue. So she told me what it was and I went, Oh to myself, I went, Oh, prostitutes. I know someone has who has something to do with prostitutes. I mean, see, no, that that was exactly my reaction. I was I was I was right. horrified. Right. So but of course I was curious and uh and fascinated and just like anybody else, I asked her a gazillion questions. And uh, you know, she told me she made fifty dollars a night off the books, which back then was a hell of a lot of money. And uh so I said what I think any impoverished position person in a similar position might have said, I said, you know, well, if they ever have any openings, let me know. Meaning for the phone girl, not to be a call girl. Right. So uh, because I was pretty much the only person who knew what she was doing, I got to hear a lot about it for the next couple of months. And then one day, um, I'm, I'm sitting at home at my desk. I swear this is true. I was actually addressing envelopes and putting my resume inside them. And she called me up and she said, hey, Sydney, one of the girls in the office is leaving. Would you be interested in the job? Well, you know, all of a sudden I had cold feet. I was afraid of the police. I was afraid of the mafia. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, if they ever have any openings, let me know. Right. And it's another thing to do it. <laughs> right. So, uh, um, but, you know, after hearing so much about it, I, you know, clearly no one was putting gun to anybody's head. Right. And uh, so, I, I, you know, I didn't feel like anyone was wronging the girls or anything. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, it wouldn't hurt to at least go over there for the interview. I'm a curious person. Even if I didn't take the job, wouldn't it be interesting to walk into the office of an escort service just, just for why not? Right, right. So, uh, so I went over there and uh, I walked in and there was this guy named Eddie. He was wearing – he had uh, uh, what I call a, a, a low forehead, a thick neck and enough chains to outfit an entire singles bar. And it was it was very 1960s. It was like orange flame. Um, what's that carpeting that that has really high high pile shag carpeting? Shag, shag carpeting. Car- <laughs> orange, like orange, different shades of orange, a little bit of yellow in it. Oh my god! And then it had the remember the the chrome and glass furniture. That's the kind of furniture oh, it had. Okay. I swear you, I, I swear to you, he had a velvet uh, painting thing on the wall. I'm not kidding. Like if some. New this girl guy was, or like, I'm telling you, right out of camp. central casting. That's right. That's awesome. So, uh, and oh, I forgot the real heavy Brooklyn accent. 
So uh, he put on the speakerphone and I got to hear, you know, the clients and what he said to them and everything. And everything just, just seemed so on the up and up. You know, a few girls came in and they paid and I got a chance to meet them. And clearly no one was holding a gun to their heads. You know, they all wanted to know when they were going to get to go out again. So uh, I thought, you know, I'm just answering the phone. You know, everyone seems to be okay with all of this. You know, no right. one seems to be hard or hard. Yeah, no one's crying. There's no, yeah. Like, yeah, there's no, yeah, it's not, it doesn't, it's not, uh, human trafficking. It doesn't feel yeah. like that, right. Yeah. So from the first night I was there, I realized that, that there was a market that he wasn't even touching. So what you have to realize is that Eddie, because if we know who he was and where he came from, and I'm not, and I'm not being judgmental, and this is just the truth, he had a thing for bimbos mm-hmm. and, or hot babes. And uh, and all his friends had to think for hot babes because those were the kinds of girls that they liked. So of course Eddie assumed, which is a huge mistake that any every business, not every but a lot of business people make, is that what he liked, everybody likes. So he hired hot babes, and there were guys on the phone that I could just tell would would just have a heart attack of a hoochie mama pranced in their door, you know? Mm. I mean, these were guys that I knew who these guys were. I could just tell by the way they were talking because they were guys like my friend's fathers, like all my male relatives, like, you know, like the, like, like the men that I knew from, you know, the country club, the beach club, the tennis club. I, mean, I, I knew who these guys were, mm. and I knew what they were looking for, and I knew they weren't looking for what Eddie was, was, was you know, giving. Right. So he also just really had bad business practices. I mean, you know, we, we had to routinely lie to clients, which I just – he violated everything I'd learned at Abraham and Strauss about running a business. You know, truth in advertising, uh, mm. you know, uh, repeat business. I mean, all, all that stuff. He just didn't, you know, didn't – He wasn't a believer. Believer in that. I don't, you know what? I don't think he really understood or knew about it. But anyway, so we were – you know, my girlfriend and I were constantly Monday morning quarterbacking. You know, why doesn't he do this? If it was me, if it was me, I'd do that. Blah, blah. Finally, we just looked at each other one day and said, you know, we're at least as smart as he is. We're definitely nicer than he is. Why don't we start our own escort service? <laughs> and so we did. And it was, it, was, it was frighteningly easy. I mean, we just each got a telephone number. You know, I was going to work out of my house three nights a week, up my apartment three nights a week. She was going to work out of her apartment three nights a week. So uh, we, got, we each got a telephone line with call forwarding. We each got an answering machine, and that was based – oh, and, and we took out an ad in uh, – where did we take out our first ad? Oh, Screw Magazine. Now, you, if you think the name is vulgar and tacky, I assure you it's the classiest thing about it because <laughs> – no, seriously. I mean my, my, fa- my favorite ad in Screw Magazine, just to give you an idea of the caliber of ads that were in there, was um, a very blurry photograph of a girl sitting there with her legs in a V and the headline was C-U-M into my valley. <laughs> okay, that just, just gives you an idea of the caliber. So what we did is she, was, she happened to have gone to um, – uh, she was a graphics person. She Our created friend. the yeah. most beautiful ad with all of this white space and uh, like two borders around it and this beautiful font. And all it said was cachet, New York's most trusted escort service because that's what was totally lacking in that business was trust mm. because these clients were routinely lied to and uh, you couldn't trust them. So New York's most trusted service, and then we put in our hours, which were like from 5 to, I think, to midnight, and everybody else was open 24 hours a day. It was our position that if you wanted a young lady uh, you know, or a girl, then uh, after, after midnight, you were up to no good. Mm. 
So we decided we weren't going to do that. And then uh, we put our price in, which is like four times as much. I think we were, I think we started out at a hundred, was it a hundred, $125 an hour and everybody else was like 50 or 75 and just from the look at, and then it had our, both of our phone numbers and that was it. And all this white space. So it just jumped off the page because all the other ads were like, you know, like yellow pages ads were really, really busy. And ours just jumped off the page. And like all good ads, not only did it attract the type of clients that we were looking to attract, it also discouraged the ones that we didn't want because they realized that, you know, this was, you know, a much more yeah. upscale kind it's of a more professional service. Well, not professional, but more upscale. I mean, let's face it. There are guys who are looking for CD. I remember, remember um, Hugh Grant? I mean, he was going out with Elizabeth Hurley, one of the most beautiful women on the planet. And yet, what was he doing with that uh, with that street hooker? No idea. But... Um, well, he was not doing what he should have been doing. <laughs> so, well, I mean, he was, as far as she was concerned, he should have been doing it, but not as far as Elizabeth Hurley was concerned. Because nobody could understand, like, why would... When you have Elizabeth Hurley to go to bed with, why would you? Because there are a lot of people who want a a sleazy experience. Really? That's, yeah. Oh, yeah. People want all different kinds of things. But there are upscale men who want upscale experiences, and that ad very clearly screamed to them that that's what this was. Hmm. And also because it had the price, uh, you know, anyone who couldn't afford that kind of money was, you know, wasn't going to bother us either. Yeah. Now I just want that's what all good ads do. Well, yeah, exactly. And I they discourage as much as they attract. Well, and I, there's some key things that you did. So you were selective in your clientele. Instead of coming in and try to undercut other people's prices, you came in with a premium product. Um, you you already knew certain things in the industry. Like I love that Chris Rock has says, says a comedy skit where he's like, I think if you know if you get money out of an ATM after midnight, a psychiatrist should pop up to be like, do you really need the money? Because he's like, when, <laughs> when was the last time you took out money at 3 a.m. for something positive? Like you know? right, right. So, um, so I love that that you brought that in. And exactly you said you took a look at the market as it was. You found a position where you could offer a premium price product. Um, and you, you, you went for to a market that was not being served. Exactly. And to a there was nobody serving that market. I just, I love that because most people, when they go into a, a business, they're always trying to undercut other people. And the problem with that is that if you're trying to be the cheapest one, it's a race to the bottom. And that's something Walmart's struggling now because they're the, where the lowest price is the law. Oh wait, that's not them. <laughs> but anyways, they've got, you know, they're, 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 they're about cheap prices, right? Walmart's all about having that, those big discounts. But now the problem is, is that how do you maintain that? That's a, if that's your big competitive advantage, there's nothing stopping from you. Uh, someone, someone from being cheaper. Right. And even if they're suicidal, they're going to stay in business long enough to upset your apple cart. And yeah. yeah so anyways, I just I loved it. And I just want to I want to expand on that a little bit. because. But it's it. also, Daryl, about niche marketing. Yes. Because a lot of people try to be and this is this. In fact, niches is one of my specialties. Um we just picked a very certain space. We wanted what I called straight, stuffy businessmen. We wanted guys who weren't available during the day because they were doing business. Right. We wanted guys who, you know, weren't looking to stay up until all hours in the morning because they had a business breakfast the next day. Right. And, you know, everyone else was trying to get – was casting their their net as wide as they could to get everybody. And I think a lot of businesses make that mistake. And that's one of the main reasons we were so successful because we, 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 we had a very narrow target market and we just, you know, serviced that market and we did it really, 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 really well. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, but um, just because people, I'm sure people are kind of curious about the rest of the story. What eventually what happened? Did you make your write your book before or after? Because I know you had an issue. You got like a fine, and it was a bit of a, it was kind of a good for you for publicity. But um, 
What was the whole fallout that, that came Okay, out? so what happened was uh, eventually New York's Finest caught up. That's, that's what we call the police here, New York's Finest. Um, they caught up with us. and at that, at that point, it was just me because she had left uh, a few years earlier. And, uh, and they busted us. And uh, only to later publicly concede that it was the most honestly and well-run business of its kind ever operated in New York City, which was a nice compliment, but a little too late. And uh, so, so then what happened was the uh, I thought I was hoping to go through the whole thing under my um, you know, the name that I used for the business, which is Sheila Devon. But uh, this old boyfriend, um, when he saw my face on the television, he called up you know the tabloids and said, "Oh no, that's the her real name is Sydney Biddle Barrows, and she's in the you know, the social register, and she was a debutante, and blah 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 blah. Her relatives came over on the Mayflower, and and so the the tabloids are like, oh my God, you know what a fabulous story. So uh, they're the ones who dubbed me the Mayflower Madam, and uh, and they just went. I mean. It was the story in New York City for weeks. It was on the front cover of every newspaper except for the New York Times. Uh, for weeks, except for the one day that Indira Gandhi got shot. Then I, I, I lost the front cover. But uh, they sold so many. They did because they sold so many papers. And what was really nice for me, Daryl, was that instead of doing like they, they did with Heidi Fleiss and with a number of other madams, instead of making me – uh, not that it was possible to make me really look sleazy because I didn't do drugs and I, there were no underage girls. You know, there was none of that stuff. But they realized that people wanted to read about a blue blood madam. Mm. They want, you know, what I mean, they 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 like that. That's what the, the the my story was all about. And so they gave me the best publicity that I could have ever gotten. I mean, they mm. never said anything but wonderful things about me. It was great. Mm. So I certainly didn't have a negative reputation to live down like uh, like all these other gals do. Mm-hmm. So that was very fortunate in that regard. And, and we had to talk about this because when we first, you know, when we first met and started talking, I, I was just I was just curious. Like I'm I'm not very much interested in the, that industry myself, but I was just curious about what's the experience for that because I I just I couldn't imagine. I remember you talked about the differences. You had rules in place, like girls would get paid regardless of what happened, so they could turn down anyone they wanted. Like, can you just just because I'm sure. Just, just it's no. I don't know if there's any business application. Well, I think maybe there is, but just for pure, just sadistic curiosity, can you just explain some of those things that I asked you about, like just the different rules? I was just so fascinated to hear because it's just it is. It's just it's so taboo that it's it's like a train wreck. You can't not look. Like. Right. Well, you know, uh, it just so happened that for us, we had two constituencies. We had the men, and we had the young ladies. Because you, of course, want to attract attract the the best young. And that's nothing. I always called them young ladies. I mean, sometimes I called them the girls, but to a client, they were always the young ladies because that's uh, psychological sales choreography, which is another one of my areas of expertise. Uh, is is when you use the term young ladies, it makes them think about them differently than mm. they would think about if you just call them the girls. So they were always the young ladies, and I always referred to them as the young ladies. And um, so anyway, so we were looking to attract the, the best young ladies and uh, and the kind of young ladies that our clientele wanted to see. They were not interested in some gum-chewing broad from Brooklyn. They you know, they weren't interested in someone who rolled out of bed at 4 in the morning and hooked for a living. No, 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 no. Or 4 in the afternoon, rather. Um, you know, they were looking for, for – they were looking for girls that were, that were nice girls that were like – kind of girls that were like their daughters. I mean, just, just – mm-hmm. 
not that they were looking for their daughters, but you know what I mean, nice girls. So I had, I had to run my business in a way that those kinds of girls would want to work for me. So rather than have them, um, and, um, oh, let me tell you what our ad said. Our ad said, one of, instead, oh, instead, of, instead of girls, 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 earn lots of and then a whole line of dollar signs. Right. That's what the ads for all the other looking yep. for girls were. Ours was one of New York's finest private escort services is currently seeking a small number of exceptionally attractive, well-educated, articulate young ladies between the ages of 19 and 30 for part-time evening employment. Fluency in one or more foreign languages, helpful but not required. Hmm. Now, what kind of girl is going to answer that ad? Right, right. So we got, I mean, we got the best of the best. And uh, I had a whole training program for them. And uh, going back to, so anyway, so my young ladies only had to work three nights a week. Okay. Uh, instead, of 20, instead of seven nights a week and 24 hours a day, they had to work three nights a week. Their choice. Uh, they just had to let me know ahead of time. Then they had to stick to the schedule. Uh, and then, like you said, um, I remember one night, I had a young lady come back, uh, and she came in, and she sat down on the couch, and you know, did the money thing, and then she she was getting she was talking about. That. I said, "Well, what was he like?" And blah, blah, and she started getting very upset. And I said, "Well, what's what's the matter?" Oh, well, he you know, apparently he'd gotten drunk, and he was just very vulgar and just not nice. I mean, he never did anything physical. I never had a young lady ever once tell me that she ever felt fear. Uh, with respect to f- anything physical from a client ever. Mm. Anyway, but this guy just just was not very nice and just made her feel bad. And I said, well, my God, why did you stay? And she looked at me and she goes, the rent's due next week. I, I couldn't leave. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, these girls are going to feel they have to stay somewhere even if the n- client's not being nice to them because they need the money. So immediately, without even asking my partner, I said, you know what? I said, from now on, anybody who's not comfortable – with a client, no matter how long they've been there, you get up and leave, and I will pay you. And even though it very rarely happened, if, you know, for no other reason, we had really great clients. Um, it was really nice for the young ladies to know that they had that option. Another thing, you know, all other escort services, they send you to someone, they expect you to stay. They don't care whether you like him or not. Uh-huh. With, with 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 us, if you walked in the door and you know, after, either right away or after a few minutes, you just realize, you know, this just just doesn't work for me like for instance i had i had a young lady um lindsey uh blonde tall she was a model and she walked in the door and there was this little man with uh you know one of those arab outfits on you know with the Mm -hmm. with the scarf thing with the black band you know what i'm talking Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. and he was he was dark and she just took one look at him and said i don't think so uh, so she, you know, they always give us a call when they get there. And, uh, so I said, is everything okay? And she said, no, which like never happened. So I was like, whoa, okay. So I had to start asking questions. First of all, I was always, is it, is it him or is it you? And she said, it's me. It's definitely me. Um, well, she didn't say that out loud because, but anyway, she let me know that it was definitely her and that there wasn't anything wrong. So I said, so I said, is there anything wrong with him? Can I send somebody else? Absolutely. She said. Okay, I said, well, so you leave. Tell him that you're not feeling well. You leave and uh, have him call me right away. And when you get downstairs, go to a payphone because there were no cell phones back then. Go to a payphone and call me and tell me what's up. So uh, I sent him another young lady. Her name was Elise. And they loved each other. He was in town for like a week and saw her almost every night. That girl made a fortune. So there was nothing wrong with this guy. You know, it just Lindsay just it just didn't work for her. Right. So that's another thing I did. You know, I you don't have to stay with anyone that you don't like. 
So it's um, almost like a matchmaking service as well. But I, what I like is just again, it's just so different to it. You just the legitimacy, the the care of your employees. Um, and honestly, that's it's just better service for a client, right? I mean, because it's an it, for well, I guess everyone's different, but I know for myself, it's an intimate thing, and I just it would it would ruin my, it would just totally like I just yeah, I just wouldn't be able to do anything. I just I, if if she wasn't into it at all, so I think that there's I think that there's a lot of benefit to that too. Yeah, what was nice is it, I think it was it made the clients feel good to have the girls say, "Oh my God, I see the most wonderful man. Sheila's the most wonderful person to work for. You know, she's so good to us." Blah blah. The clients like hearing that. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was fun for the girls to hear. Oh my, you guys are so far and away the best. There's no, there's no other agency that even touches. And that made the girls feel, you know, feel good. So I mean, I st- I still hear from some of them, you know, and 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 almost uh, I have yet to speak with anyone. And maybe it's just because they haven't called me, but I've yet to speak to anyone who who wishes they hadn't done it. Everyone said, you know, it was just one of the most interesting, fascinating times of my life. And what was so interesting is that. Most, you know, they were all pretty, pretty young. I wouldn't hire anyone under 19. And most of them were between the ages, say, 20 and 25, because I had a lot of, I had a lot of college students, you know, aspiring dancers and singers, you know, mm-hmm. people who wanted to be uh, on Broadway and stuff like that. And uh, to them, men were them. You know, older men, anyone who was, because I mean, they're in their early 20s. So older men are them, and they're usually the ones who are in charge, and, you know, and they're, maybe kind of sort of a little intimidating because they are the ones that are going to decide your fate in one way or the other for something. Mm. What was so interesting is everyone, every single one of them said, you know, this has given me such an incredible amount of confidence because here I am, you know, this guy is an international businessman. We had, we had people who uh, worked for companies or who owned companies, ran companies that you have heard of. I mean, we're talking about big multinational companies. We're talking about major diplomats from major, I mean, just, the top of the top Wall Street people. We used to have a we used to have something called a uh, celebrity board, and uh, if anybody saw like in the Wall Street, I, I have one girl who actually um, was a, a stock trader, and she uh, so she read the Wall Street Journal. But whenever anyone I used to read Newsweek, and if anyone ever saw a photograph of one of our clients, they cut it out and we put it on the celebrity board. Of course, everyone loves seeing a client who was on the celebrity board. Right. So anyhow, but what these girls said is, and here these guys are, they're paying me. It's like. They're paying me to come and spend time with them. And it, so not only was that like, whoa, but they realized that these guys were just normal, nice, everyday guys, just older than the guys that they dated. You know what I mean? That there was, there was nothing really to be intimidated about. And it gave them a kind of confidence to really go out in the world and feel very differently about you know, the people who were in charge kind of thing. So that was very nice for them. Very much. Now, I want to. I want to. I want to just also talk about because I asked about that. About what does that do to a woman in her psyche? And you had some interesting things to say that because it was very empowering. But you also said that for some. It's a good women, word, empowering. Well, you just yeah, because especially at the time of the age, you were talking about uh, like where women were that it wasn't entirely equal at the same time. So it was just <laughs> nope. a huge yeah. So that, but you did. I just I feel like I don't want to be necessarily purely endorsing it. Um, it is the old one of the oldest professions in the world, but I also wanted to just kind of put some some disclaimers or warnings out there that that's not every girl's experience. Absolutely not, absolutely not. And the thing that broke my heart down more than anything else was having girls come to me for interviews and they just weren't pretty enough 
And I knew, and I, I, I couldn't hire them. I mean, I, I, it was terrible. And I felt really badly about it because they were really nice and they were, I mean, I, I just, they just weren't pretty enough. My clients would say, wait a second, you know, what, what happened to their standards? Because uh, being pretty was the most important thing. And I knew these girls were going to go work for someone else anyway and that they weren't going to be treated well. And honest to God, it broke my heart. It really did. Yeah, you say they wouldn't be treated well. So, um, what does that mean? Well, that means that uh, if they if they went if they went to see a client who who you know they they weren't feeling comfortable, with, they'd have to stay anyway. Uh, it meant that uh, the client would be lied to about what they looked like. So, if the client was expecting you know a a, a, a tall brunette with long hair to walk through the door, and a uh, you know and a, and a short redhead with curly short curly hair walk through the door, the client wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and takes it out on the girl, which is not her. They'll, they'll, they'll tell them, oh, yeah, she'll be there in a half an hour. Uh-huh. An hour and a half she walks in. She, later she walks in. Well, they're not happy about that. Uh-huh. So, and then um, if they uh, if the client pays by credit card, a lot of times the, uh, the agencies wouldn't pay the girl. Or they'd uh-huh. make them wait so that they couldn't quit. They'd make them wait like three or four weeks to get paid so that it kept them from quitting. Uh-huh. Which is, I mean, I, I, I paid the girls that night. Right. I paid them that night, and if something happened with the credit card, which I'm trying to think if we'd ever had a problem with the credit card, not that I can remember, but or if a check didn't go through or something, those girls got paid anyway. Right. Uh, with the other agencies, oh no, you know, check didn't go through, or he stopped the credit card, so you're not getting it. That's not right. They went out there and did the job. They deserve the money. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know that I knew that I, I knew that that's what those poor girls were going to be getting into, and it really broke my heart. Yeah. Well, and that's again, that's why I wanted to bring that up because one, if, again, you're, you're you're just we're dealing with more. I mean, people can think what they want about the trade, and again, I don't want to necessarily sound like I'm endorsing it all, but I think that there's a lot of business lessons to be heard, and it's a very fascinating story for sure. But just that you you provided transparent. I don't know if a transparency is the right word, but you brought integrity to a, an industry that lacked integrity. You found a serve an area in, a, in an unserved market to sell a premium product. Um, you made it a better work environment. You raised the standard. I mean, even like you said, that you were praised for having the best run operation of its kind. By the police. By the police. Which, <laughs> yeah, which, okay. So, and they see a lot of that kind of thing. So they probably know. Um, well, so- another thing I think it's really important is that most people, most businesses don't take the time to train their employees they just throw them in and the person who's leaving or someone else who isn't all that busy at the time you know they i mean i had a very rigorous training program as a matter of fact <laughs> i'm sorry I, that's just i actually so i actually funny. have an information i actually have a product that on one, one of the cds is the um is a recreation of the training program but that's another story anyway so uh, yeah no they had a training program they had so you know they knew exactly what was expected of them and uh, people don't same with the phone girls oh my god you don't even want to know what my phone girls had to go through to work for me but the thing is, is by the time they got done, they were doing everything the way they should have. You know, we, what businesses don't realize is, is your employees don't necessarily, they don't have the same vision as you do. They don't have the same standards that you have. You know, you might think, oh, answering a phone, everyone knows how to answer a phone. Uh, no. Or they might not be answering the phone the way you want them to answer the phone. They might not be saying, you, you, you know, oh, yeah, she knows what I do. But how are they explaining it? They might not be explaining it to the the best way. I mean, I've had clients. I, I go and I sit next to the receptionist desks, and I listen to what they're saying, and I, I'm, I, it's like I'm looking around for the Xanax. It's terrible. So, if there's one another thing that's really important that people have to realize is you have to train, especially your frontline employees, people that are uh, actually dealing with 
the prospects and the clients, they're your frontline people. They have absolutely got to know what your standards are, what you expect of them, what you expect them to do and not to do, how far you expect them to go to make a client happy, how they should explain uh, the pricing, what it is that you do. You very, very, very rarely see that, and it's it's critical. Okay, that's not good. Anyway, so that's another thing that people just don't do. They don't pay attention to training their employees properly. Right. And they don't treat their employees really well. You know, when you treat your employees well, they'll do anything for you, you know. And it's like if, like if, if, I, had a, uh, if I had a night where like two people for all of a sudden couldn't work, I could call somebody who wasn't supposed to work that night. And unless she had other plans, I could say, God, is there any way that you could, you know, that you could, that you could work tonight because I, you know, I, I just don't have enough people. And almost invariably, shit. So the important thing is to, to, to train your employees so that they know exactly what's expected of you. And now happy employees are nice to your customers. They have nice things to say about you and the business to your customers. They're happy to come to work. They'll, they'll do extra things for you. Um, it, it, it just, it, it's really important to be good to your employees. Yeah, and I, I like that you, the emphasis on that because that's the other side of it. It's just it's the – well, it's the emphasis on employee training and then also maintaining the, taking care of them because now we live in a society where you know wages are low and um, and expectations are high and, and a lot of businesses lack proper customer service, let alone training customer service. I mean, I know I'm training at a gym. I'm not going to say too much, but I'm training at a gym and I, I've already almost they just got a new trainer and I'm so grateful because I was I was it was a one year contract, but I was I was just going to bounce anyways because it was just it was just really sub satisfactory and now their only their only blessing is that they've got um, they've got a, a gifted person but the problem if your business depends on gifted people is that if you don't have gifted people then your business suffers and then all of a and sudden if you don't treat the gifted people well they're going to leave right and also well and also that means your business depends on them whereas i feel that for you sure gifted people would be great but i think that your training system it sounds like that you could take almost anybody and at least have them be above par and that's yes. something that yeah. that you know, and that's something that if you have proper training systems in place, that's where your business isn't reliant on special. I mean, obviously, you're going to have superstars in any division, and you want to keep them if you can get them. But at least with you know, you're making an effort to maintain a standard level of quality. Um, and just you know, we talk about taking care of the clients so much, like especially on this on the show, talk about how problems are market, and it's about solving problems for the people. But what I like about your scenario is that you solved a problem for the market and you solved a problem for the, the, the employees, the service providers, because again, that exactly, that makes you, that attracts the top talent to you. It makes them want to work with you. Again, they're happier. They're all the things that you said. I think it's just, it's a win-win for everyone. And remember, that's what business is really supposed to be about. It's about serving mm-hmm. people. And I, I just love that. And the other part that I love is that the business you built because so many people that get into business, they are the business. But for you, you weren't the business. You really, when you describe in the language and how you talk about it, you were a, a real business owner. You were you were choreographing the sales. You were right, like you were mm-hmm. you were involved. You had other people going out delivering the service. Like you weren't. It wasn't you that was doing everything. You weren't answering the phones and seeing clients and like all this other stuff. Um, so, anyways, that's that's all. One last thing I want to say about employees: pay them well. Every other agency, they split 50-50. Sometimes they only gave the girls 40% and the agency kept 60%. And sometimes you even had to, you even had to tip the phone girls on top of it. I gave my girls 60%. They got to keep all their tips. They did not have to share them. Uh, I fe- if they even brought a cup of coffee to one of the phone girls, I would fire them. 
uh, because I don't want any phone girls feeling that they owe someone and they'll give someone a call that, mm. you know, that they're not the best person for the call, but this person's become their friend and they bring them things. And uh, it was interesting. Girls from um, uh, Iron Curtain countries always used to try and, 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 and tip the uh, phone girls really well. Right. And I told them that they, you cannot you cannot do that. I, I will fire you and I'll fire them if I find out they've taken it. So, uh, so, so pay people well because you know, it's so important that people feel valued. They'll just do such a better job. Mm-hmm. And in this day and age, they, everyone tries to get everyone for as cheap as they can. And as soon as the economy starts getting better, if they can get a better job that pays even just a little bit better, they'll leave because they don't feel valued by you. Mm-hmm. And you know, they, it, it just people don't pay enough attention to their employee, employees. Mm-hmm. I guess is the bottom line. No, and I think that's I think that's a really key component to it. Because um, team, we've talked a lot about the importance of a team and having good people and a good team. And so, no, you just describe things that I think help can help um, encourage that. So, now, what were some of the challenges? I mean, you've you've obviously you've it was illegal. Well, yeah, but I just mean <laughs> I mean in your business career, what have been some of your greatest challenges in your business career, and how have you? Oh, I mean them? overall. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's. Well, first of all, I don't have a college degree. I don't have a four-year college degree. Uh, my father's attitude was, you're a pretty girl, so much man will marry you. Why should I spend the money to send you to college? And we hear that today, and it's like, oh, oh my God, how could someone do that? But back then, it was not that unusual. So I ended up at the Fashion Institute of Technology, which is a two-year school, so I have a two-year degree. But... Uh, you know, back in the eighties, that those that that was the that was when the MBA everything was MBA MBA MBA, and forget it. If you didn't have a four year degree, that was bad enough. If you didn't have an M, you know that that almost that wasn't good enough. If you didn't have an MBA, that was a huge huge challenge to me. So if there's one thing that I would tell anybody um, is depending on what you're going to do. If you're going to go into business for yourself, uh, as long as you are are educated enough to know how to do what you do well, you don't need you know you don't necessarily need a degree but if you're going to go work for a company which i'm assuming that i guess probably none of your people are going to do so anyway so no college degree was a problem for me uh and then after this whole thing happened and everyone knew who i was uh i could get an interview with anyone but no one would give me a job that was a real problem. I mean, everyone said, I admire you. I, you know, I, I know you're smart enough. I, you're someone who would just fit in really well here. I'd love to have you work for me. I know you do a great job. But, I, you know, uh, our investors or our clients or, you know, uh, are this or that, you know, if they found out you were working here would just, you know, they'd sell all their stocks and they, they wouldn't do business with us. I mean, everyone, everyone had all these horrible ideas about what would happen. What might happen, you know, whether or not it's true, it doesn't matter. They were afraid that it would. So that was that was a terrible problem. Um, You know, I really lived really close to the edge for quite a number of years there because I just finally I finally ended up changing my name. I should have done it years sooner, years sooner. Really? eh? Yep, years earlier. Yep. So that was that was that. So what do you what would you recommend anyone that's going through struggles in their business? What would you recommend to someone who? Well, I don't know if that applies because – so if someone's hitting a wall and you're saying, well, because let's talk about the degree thing first and foremost. I think in some indiv- – like and when is it applicable and when is it not applicable? Well, I mean let's face it. I, I had no business background at all. Fashion Institute of Technology, come on. Right. And yet I was very, very blessed to somehow just instinctively 
know what the right thing to do was. And there are people out there like that. And uh, I'm not saying there's a lot of them, but, you know, but we are out there. Uh, and then there are, there are other people. I mean, there are people out there who um, are saying, well, you know, you really shouldn't go to college. This guy, all you have to do is start, you can start a business in your garage and blah, 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 because there are a lot of very successful people these days who never went to college. I'm not advocating or advising that, but uh, I don't want, I don't think people should feel that, oh my God, I have no chance uh, at starting a successful business. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, uh, it's, it's not, you know, it's not like you're looking for a job where people are looking for someone with degrees. So as long as you know what you're doing, uh, and if you don't know what you're doing, like, like let, let's say that you're someone who, uh, I forget, I think it was either, I think it was Facebook that, um, uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg realized that he was good at what he did, but that he had no idea how to run a business. And he just went and hired some real high-powered executive to run the business. A lot of designers do that. Like Calvin Klein, he didn't run that business. He just did the designing. He had Barry Schwartz run that whole empire and create that empire. So it's important to know when you're not good at something and when you need to hire someone who is. Mm, mm, mm. Yes, I like that. I like that a lot because that's exactly it. Play in your superpower. That's a tenant I have in my company. We all work in our superpowers. So I, f- mm-hmm. I forget how it's worded. Oh, let me go over and take a look. I have it written. But it's always oh, use our superpowers daily so we do better work, which to us is play. Um, yeah, instead of trying to be the best at everything, do what you do really, really well and then outsource. Get everything else around the corner. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's really important. I think a lot, of, a lot of small entrepreneurs and small business owners run themselves ragged because they feel like they have to do everything. And you don't. I mean, I don't do anything that has anything to do with technology for no other reason than I'm a complete and total failure at it. But um, so, oh, no, honey, I am I, I so technologically no, blonde on platinum. I can attest to that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do know that. Um, so I have someone do that. And, you know, you have people who that you outsource things to. And, and it, it's hard to do because your business is your baby. And you feel no one could do this as well as I could. Or by the time I teach someone how to do it, you know, I could have done it myself, which is true. But uh, eventually, once they learn how to do it, then they can do it on their own and you can go off and do other things. So I, it is hard to let go. And a lot of people have that, have that problem. But if you're ever going to grow, you've got to do it. No, so well said. Exactly. And I had a mentor once tell me, Daryl, no matter what you do, everyone in your company is going to be a beta version of you, and you're just going to have to accept it. And that's because yeah. a lot of us are control freaks. And it's not true at all, to be honest, <laughs> that uh, like that was just more of a mindset thing where I was like, okay, I just have to accept that other people won't do it my way. Because his thing was, is, you know, you have to manage by based on results. You have to be objective about how you manage people. It can't be can't be subjective. Oh, I don't like the way that you, you know, talk to, you know, I don't like the way you as a sales rep talk to clients. Hey, if he's making sales and people are happy and people are staying with you, you know, then his whatever works for him works for him, you know, and it might not be the way you do it, but again, as long as he's not The money's but, coming in. Yeah, well, it's yeah, people the, aren't leaving and clients are happy, absolutely. Exactly. So, I think that that's a really 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 important thing to for people to understand now what would you recommend i mean i guess maybe in your industry i don't know maybe it was a good industry and money was abundant but how would you get people on board especially if you can't afford them at the time because that's i know that's a common thing when i tell people that that they have to get more people on board help me brainstorm some ideas for the listeners here of things that they can do to get to to get those people you know, if I knew the answer to that, I'd be doing it myself. <laughs> well, and if you know the answer to that, I'm interested in hearing it. Yeah, no, of course. Well, there's always like, for example, you can always give someone a percent. There's two things. There's psychic income there's and there's fiber. income. 
So, well, yeah. There's, there's <laughs> things you can get on fire for five bucks. I mean, anyone can afford five bucks. Right, right. So that's, but that's uh, true. And the other thing is there's all sorts of alternatives. You can take someone who's got – everyone either has time, knowledge, or uh, money. And so if you've got a lot of money, then you can just spend the money and get someone on board. But if you don't have the money, then you have to put the time into somebody else so you can get someone at a price you can afford, but then you have to trade them up. Or maybe you can get someone who has the knowledge but doesn't have the time involved and has ne- never made any money about it. They're just looking for experience. So you get someone who would be willing to – do some sort of unpaid internship or maybe there's some sort of barter you could do with someone where they'll work Mm. for you in exchange for some like a symbiotic partner uh business partnership relationship for example shared office space um so for example like say for you and this is this the analogy won't necessarily match but say there's someone who has like some sort of office um and you know and they close up at five o'clock and you get started at five six p.m so maybe you share the space right Mm -hmm. and that's that sort of thing you can share employees you can share resources you can share tools um and then again you can get people to come in and a lot of people will come in for some sort of uh uh, equity play in the business even if it's a small piece if it's like one percent or two percent some people they just want to own something and be a part of something so there's a lot of different ways you can you can barter you can you can train someone you can find someone that needs to use you as a guinea pig for experience um there's a lot of different things there but usually it's again you either have time you've got money or you've got knowledge and most very rare people have all three if they've got a lot of money often they don't have a lot of time and they don't have the time to get knowledge in a lot of areas so they just pay the money for it so it's always a trade-off of those three and so you can find those people and that's again in your business maybe you go find a partner who has money and make them an equity partner in your business and they put in some money so you can get the people that you need and away you go. And it's just a matter of looking at the problem in multiple different ways. And really, it's just trying to like make a list of all the different possible options that no matter how crazy you think they are. But I mean, again, it's it's time, it's money and knowledge. And you can, again, most people have one real strength there um, or two. And then it's just a trade-off. You find someone, again, you find a high school kid that's got a ton of time. Maybe they're willing to, you know, to, 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 to invest the time because maybe it's a rote task that they can spend, you know, even though they won't do it right, they have to do it three times. They're willing to do it because, you know, they'll get good at it and they'll make a little bit of money, um, right? But now that's, again, that's that's where you're trading for them. It'll take them longer, but you can pay them less because they understand they're less skilled. So there's all those different trade-offs, um, different ways to do it. It's just a matter of being creative and thinking non-linear, in a non-linear fashion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, Sydney, did you have any big mentors in your business career? Um, I mean, you said you didn't. Dan know Kennedy, Dan definitely. Kennedy. He's been he's been tremendous. Yeah, hmm. he's been great. I got very lucky with that. Yeah. He, um, yeah, he heard a. Um, he must it must have been a bootleg version because I never used to let anyone uh, record my presentations. And uh, you know, after Mayflower Madam became number one on the New York Times bestseller list, I started being asked to speak. And uh, it started out with colleges, and then you know I got the Young Presidents Organization. I got a call from them, and I thought, someone's having me on. There's no way that people who own multi-million dollar companies and they have MBAs and their CEOs are going to come have me tell them about marketing. I just, you know. But this guy finally convinced me he was on the up and up. And so, um, you know, I think it was Joan Rivers, like, never say no to anything. Say yes to everything and then figure out how you're going to do it. So uh, that's what I did, and I and I had no idea. I, I went down to uh, the Barnes and Noble uh, student bookstore, and I asked for the three top MBA books on marketing, and I brought them home and I looked through them, and I looked for what what are the things that they all like for instance, product promotion price in place. That was something that all of them talked about, and there were and there were other things uh, you know besides that. That's just the one I'm remembering at the time. And so what I did is I wrote down all of the commonalities that all three of these books had because I figured everyone would you know. 
these would be some of the – and then what I did is I talked about how I applied them to my escort service. And mm. people thought it was a scream, which it was. But it was also interesting you – know, <laughs> no, it was. It was a scream. So anyway, so Dan Kennedy must have heard this and uh, – uh, he realized that I was talking about that, – that I was doing, that I did and talking about the same things that he's always teaching people and I'd never even heard of him before. And so people are always saying to Dan, you know, that was a great talk and I, I really believe in everything you said. But you know what? My business is different and if you want to make Dan's blood boil, you tell them that your business is different and what he just said isn't going to work for you. Mm-hmm. So what he did is he invited me to come and present at the uh, Info Summit back in uh, – I think it was 2005 and uh, – just to you know, just to, to say, you know what? L- l- listen to this woman and listen to what she was doing, and and then tell me that your business is different and you can't do what I'm telling you to do. When she did, now having said that, I had no idea who Dan Kennedy was, not a clue. Um, I didn't, I didn't even. There was no Google back then. I didn't even bother to look at to look him up. You know, my idea, you're paying me four grand. I, you know, I'm going to come here and I'm going to give my speech and that's what I'm going to do because that's, mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's the way I do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I had no idea who he was. And I couldn't believe it afterwards. Everyone, come, you know, everyone was coming up to me. I didn't realize that he was a god, you know. <laughs> and uh, it, just, it was just not – I just had no idea. And so anyway, um, so there was a, a luncheon. Uh, afterwards, uh, just for the, you know, the highest uh, ranked members. And uh, so this guy comes up to me. I'd, I'd not met him. This guy, this guy in cowboy boots and blue jeans and, you know, a work shirt, um, a rather unusual arrangement of facial hair and uh, very thick glasses comes up to me and introduces himself as Dan Kennedy. And uh, I said, oh, hi, how are you? You know, thank you for inviting me to, have, to speak here. And he asked if I'd be interested in doing something. Well, Daryl... I've had over the years. I have asked, had more people ask me that question. I've thrown more shit against the wall than everyone you know put together, and very little of it's ever worked out. So as soon as I ascertained that I wasn't going to have to put any money into whatever this doing something was, I said sure. And a couple weeks later, I opened my mailbox, and there's a nice four-figure check in there. So I thought, oh, this guy's really serious. So uh, uh, we made um, what I now know is called an information product triple x-rated sales strategies that's that's the one that has a cd in it about the recreation of the girls you know mm-hmm. training program anyway and i didn't realize at the time but the, I, that was the first product he'd ever made with anybody else ever mm-hmm. and then he said well let's write a book together i said sure never had no idea he'd never ever written a book with anyone before so, yeah, I know I just – I really lucked out. I really lucked out. He's been very, very good to me. He mentions me in the newsletters. He mentions me in the books. He's been he's been great to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean you're good at what you do and you did operate the best business in its category and it's not like there's none of them or only a few of them in that city. So – um, you know, so obviously that really does show that you have exemplary business skills and you get a lot of really good results for your clients as well. And maybe um, – Maybe could you talk a little bit about, because we're kind of stepping into the sales choreography part, um, and so maybe can you talk about some of the common mistakes that you see people, a lot of your clients making, because we talked about some of them already about not having training for their employees. What are some other really big no-nos that you see people making? Um, the most recent one uh, is this this person got in touch with me and had me go to their website, and it was a beautiful website. But it was not a website that sold, and it was a, it was they were trying to sell things on it, 
There was no way they were going to ever sell anything the way this website was set up. No way. And I explained it to them and I told them, you know, I'm happy to, 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 to walk you through, you know, tell you what you can do if you, can give, if you give me money, which of course I didn't say, but that was implied. And they said, oh, well, thank you very much. And I mean, it was, it was beautiful. I, I don't deny that for a second, but no one was ever going to buy anything from it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so pretty websites versus websites that sell, that's something a lot of people make the mistake about. Mm-hmm. Um, Another big mistake people don't make is that they don't look at things from the customer's point of view. They have these processes, they have these um, things that their customers, that that their, their employees are supposed to do. And anyway, they don't think of what that's like from the customer's point of view. Yeah. You know, a lot of people run their businesses for um, in a way that's convenient for them, uh-huh. for them, uh-huh. for them, for their employees, but it's not convenient for the customer. And that's a huge mistake people make that they just don't realize. Um, another thing is uh, when we talk about sales choreography, uh, I, I work with a lot of people who, you know, they want to raise the price of their product, you know, of their, their, their program and their product or their service. Uh, they want to create something new. What most people don't realize is that just by adding an experience, you can add you know you can charge more money uh you can use it as part of your usp your unique selling proposition um which is another one of my areas of expertise they you know they all go together niche marketing usp sales choreography all that sort of they're really uh the customer experience they're really all part of one big thing they're just one piece of it mm-hmm. and uh and it's all it's all really important and, and people don't understand it they well, just don't understand. Can you explain it. what, like, what do you mean by adding, like, how do I add an experience to my business? I, okay. Like, so let's say uh, you're a lawyer and you want to stand out from all the other lawyers and you want your you want your, you want your clients, you know, to love you and to not jump ship and blah, blah, blah. What is the, and this is a way, a, one of the ways that people can figure this out. What's the number one thing people complain about, about lawyers? And so what you think about is what's the number one thing people complain about? It, about other people like my competitors, people in my business. Well, for lawyers, it's that I don't, you know, they don't call you back. Mm. You know, I call them up and I, I call and I call mm-hmm. and they never call me back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what, so, you know, so what you can use as a numer as a guarantee, you can use as part of your USP. You can use as part of the experience that you are creating for your customers. It's, it, it is sales choreography, which is creating all these other things. And what that is, is you say to people, and I just want to make sure that you know that once you become my client, that when you call, no matter what, you know, when you call, your call will be returned by the end of the business day. Mm-hmm. Now, Daryl, notice that I did not say I will return mm-hmm. your call. At the end of the business day, so what you do is you you know you get Sally and you know who's your you know you get somebody in the office to get on the phone with you know whoever and say you know I gave your I gave your uh, your message to you know to Mr. Harvey and uh, you know he's doing in depositions today and you know he's in court but I gave him your message and um, and he told me that uh, that he is going that he would. That, you know, is, is, would like to call you back uh, when he's done with, with you know, with yada yada yada, and uh, that he uh, will be able to speak with you. Let's say we're talking about a Monday, he'll be able to speak with you on Thursday. Hmm. And so now, all of a sudden, the customer fears the, the client. The customer feels heard. That's another big thing that 
people don't feel heard. So the person knows that they were heard. They, they believe that, uh, that Mr. Harvey has been told about their problem, which may or may not be true, but it doesn't matter. They believe it's true. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they got a call back, you know, sort of recognizing that, you know, just validating their issue, their problem, and the fact that, you know, they, they need help. Hmm. And that's something that I mean that that's an exp- that's sales choreography that's giving your customers an experience mm-hmm. that's a value that, uh, that you could probably get away with charging a little more for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if if you're somebody who has um, you could you could offer uh, some kind of customer service, like if you have problems uh, with your with your with your gizmo that I sold you or whatever. Uh, you know, here, here, here's a private number only for, you know, our clients or our customers and you call it and, uh, and, and, and somebody will get back to you, you know, within uh, 24 hours or whatever time frame, you know, two hours is even better and, uh, and we'll help you with it. You can charge more for, for a product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you offer a service. service or even like what you just mentioned, it reminds me of uh, Joe Polish has a strategy where he used a lot of uh, pre-recorded phone messages. So especially like product delivery when you get the product there's a sticker on it and it's like a welcome message and then when you call it's a welcome message from him and then you hear a bunch of testimonials and i think there's some sort of offer for a bonus and like you know and that's just creating a better experience as opposed to just you know oh, i pay my money i got what i expected great you know just going over over you know it's just it's under promising over producing um which is just you know it's unfortunate that it's just not more common than it is but i understand what you mean just creating a sensory experience somehow to 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 create a more encompassing experience versus just like you said like versus just collecting dollars and being like done with it you know or yeah. like like eddie you know where he all he cared about was his bimbo and whatever like he didn't really want to build a business or build a community where people were well he did but healthy. he didn't know how well yeah well but here's the thing it's still shame on him because yeah. i mean libraries coaches like other people yeah. i mean all the tools are at your every anybody listening to this podcast they're not in that group because they're learning how right so yeah. he had all the tools to, uh, to him and it just any Anyways, I, I feel that anything you can do to create it, I guess maybe you're right because he had the, the shag carpet and the velvet photo oh, on the wall. But I think maybe what was he missing then? What was it that he was missing? It sounds like he wasn't listening to his customers and his employees, it sounds like. But he didn't care. See, his attitude was as long as I get their money, what, what do I care? What do I care if they call back? What do I care if they're unhappy? What do I care if the girls are, are, are not happy? What, what do I care? Mm-hmm. See, the p- people just don't care. Right. And, uh, you know, even as, even as a coach um, and a consultant, one of the things I do is with every, um, you know, except, except for my one hour, you know, uh, program is I, I offer emergency phone calls, you know, right. uh, depending on, you know, what program it is. You get anywhere between like two and um, four emergency phone calls yep. during the course of the period and almost nobody uses them. But yeah, well, <laughs> but, they, but they know they're there. They're there, and I don't know what it is, but when they use them, I was up late last night because I had four people calling their emergency call. Oh, it was back to back to back. It was wow. it was pretty yeah. But you're right for the most part they don't. But it shows that you care and that you're available. And you know, and like for example, last night, all four situations, you know, it was uh, two of it. It was you know, it was more of a men's mindset issue, but the other two were real issues. One guy was going to start a chain of events which would have had severe repercussions, and he had to make a decision and was really afraid. And anyways, but I understand. I totally understand what you mean. That it just shows that you care. And hey, I'm here. And you know, sure you pay me for whatever a program is and here's some extra in case because i want you to be successful i care about you that makes perfect sense no i like that but almost but almost no one does that i think they're afraid people are going to take advantage or i don't know what it is another thing is uh just having um 
sending thank you notes. Mm-hmm. Like everybody, I mean, when it's the minute somebody becomes a new client, I send them a snail mail note. Um, I send them, uh, like I sent, I sent, I send Valentine's Day cards. I sent Fourth of July cards. I didn't get around to sending Thanksgiving cards this year. Bad me. Uh, I'll have to do Christmas. Um, but you know, little, little things like that, just to let them know that you're thinking of them. Yep. And uh, you know, just that. That's all. That's all. Sales card. When 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 somebody buys something, uh, to get in touch with them and say, you know, how 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 is it working? You know, were you able to? Uh, you know, yeah, to get whatever it was going. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. And now, now, even though I have your money, I'm still staying in touch to make sure you're yeah. satisfied. Yeah. What a funny and you have concept. Any questions and, yeah. yeah. What a funny yeah. concept. No, I'm uh, I'm behind you 180%, and I like the direct mail piece. That's something that I have. I have a 45-day new customer welcome system, and that's basically kind of the same thing. It's choreographed because exactly that. People don't think through the process. It's not – yeah, they're not planning the before and after. They're not really – they're just – all they care about is just, oh, am I making my money? You know, and that's – Get me the money. I'll do what I need – what you paid me for, and that's it. Yeah. Well, for yep. instance, today I got, um, I got some brand new uh, – cards because i send cards to people and uh i i ordered them from etsy and uh you know they're 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 hand they're all they're hand done and uh they come to me in a uh, in an envelope with nothing inside i have no way i i don't remember the name of the company mm-hmm. i have no way to get in touch with them now to reorder mm-hmm. i mean how dumb is that not only should there have been something in there i should be getting an email in another week or so asking me how i like them and is everything working out okay yep because I would buy these again, but yeah. I I don't remember who the hell I bought them from. Mm, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hello. Yep. 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 Yeah. Just money, money, just sitting on the table. That's one of the things that excites me the most about clients. When you find clients that come out come on board and they just they're leaving so much, like they're sitting on a fortune, mm. they just don't yeah, even don't realize know. it. Yep. And some of these people, I know, I've talked to a couple other coaches. They've got clients that are making millions of dollars, and they're like, these I don't know how these guys are making money. Like they're doing everything wrong, but somehow they're just you know. And what it is is that they're servicing a need. Like they're that's just basically it. They're ser- they're servicing a need that isn't being met, and you know, right. supply and demand. Mm-hmm. So that's anyways. Um, Cindy, do you have any books that, to recommend to our listeners? I mean, you've you've gone through a lot, you've experienced a lot, you've worked with a lot of people. What sort of knowledge do you think would be really beneficial to the listeners? Uh, I would say that the uh, the best business book I've ever read um, is called Broken Windows, Broken Business. Mm-hmm. Great book, great book. Michael, somebody. Um, are coming to my but I mean you just go to Amazon Broken Windows Broken Business, um, of course any any Dan Kennedy any of the No BS books my book on sensor sales strategy just happens to be a great book. Um, no, it is. I no, mean, I, I believe just, it. I'm not laughing at that. It's uh, I'm just I'm, I'm agreeing with you. But what I, other? Oh, and another business book I love. Another book uh, is a book called Hypnotic Writing by Joe Vitale. Mm. I love that. Okay. That's, that's a real go-to book for me. Is it? Eh? Yeah. Why, do you, why is that such a good go-to book for you? Um, because when you're writing sales copy, you know, he just, I don't know, I just, I just like it. I just always go in there and get inspired. You got it, got it, got it. And sales copy, maybe we should just touch on this just briefly. Why is sales copy even important? Well, because if people don't resonate with your sales copy, they're not going to buy whatever it is you're selling. Right. And sales copy also, just the way it's written, it also uh, projects who you are. And what you're like, depending on, like for instance, there are, there are some uh, pretty much all male uh, info marketers who have that real hard, you know, you know, you know, get a thousand leads uh, in the next two weeks, 
you know, um, mm-hmm. just by doing you know, one little thing. Or, I mean, you know what I mean? And they're real, they're real, this real hard driving, all these promises and stuff that, uh, you know, that, that works for them. Hmm. And, uh, and what was the question again? Well, I was asking about... Oh, so that sales copy. So that kind of sales copy, that resonates with some people. You know, there are people who want to believe that all they have to do is buy the, you know, spend, you know, $800 and buy this one little thing. And all of a sudden, all they're going to be making all this money. The only person who's making all the money is the, the guy who's selling it. And, uh, but then there are others, uh, for instance, um, I have a colleague who doesn't even ask for opt-ins. She offers a free, uh, business, um, uh, what's it called? Analysis kind of thing. And you take a little quiz and, you know, and you don't even have to give, all you give is your email address. You don't even have to give your, your name. And then she doesn't try and sell them. She just starts sending them emails with information and stuff in them. You know, no one feels pressured. And then suddenly she kind of, you know, gets it, you know, but, you know, and I have a product that, you know, you could use for this and blah, blah. And she does really, really well because she doesn't, but, but, but that's, that's a whole different kind of customer. So you have to know who your customer is. You know, different people. Some people are very interested in cutting edge stuff. You know, some people want stuff that's tried and true. That you know is work. I mean, it's so everyone's different. So you have to know how to write. So writing sales copy for to women is very different than writing sales copy to men. Mm. You've got you know. So if you have a large female clientele, you need to know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sales copy is really important because it tells people who you are, who you're for. Yes. What you do and how well you do it. I mean, it, it tells. And that, I think the who you're for part is really big to it because yeah. that, like the, yeah, I think that that's such a huge part of it because, um, well, just like you said, if you're writing to a male or a female, the language is going to be different. The reasons, the appeal is going to be totally different. I mean, the difference in cop- copywriting is such a powerful skill. Perfect example is I did a campaign for a client once and we had 11 different appeals that we had tested for, uh, for the, for the, for the, um, uh, it was a, a guy that teaches people how to make money in real estate, and we tried eleven different appeals. And out of all eleven, two of them were phenomenal. And the number one, so two of them were phenomenal. The number one was a thousand percent more response, got a thousand percent more uh, more response than the number two. And the number two ad got, I think it was 10 times better response than any of the other ads. Hmm. And it's just, it's the process of going through copywriting because if you know which appeal, if you know what, like the pain point, what the thoughts are that they're thinking, the messaging that they want, it's so, so, so important because that, Mm -hmm. again, it's the communication. I know I learned something when I first got into teaching. It's that it's not what you say, it's what people hear. And I think it's the same thing. And that's, that's the power of copywriting is that's why it's so important because that's exactly it. It's not necessarily what you what you write because you, know, you can pay someone to write some pretty words and you know and, you know all that professional speak but it's not what people hear it's not how people write like people filter out so much of that um, anyways yeah we can we'll go into copy on another call but Sydney we're almost at the top of our, our, of our interview here what are you working on these days what are you really excited about uh, the, the thing I'm most excited about is uh, a couple of weeks ago a colleague got in touch with me and he is doing a business makeover show. And he's got the funding, he's got the producer, he's got everything. And uh, he wanted to know whether or not I wanted to be one of the, the makeover people on the team. One of the ma- on, on, yeah, isn't that fabulous? That's very fabulous. That's like very that. fabulous. That's so, awesome. um, you know, people want to, to know more about that. If you opt into, you know, if you go to sydneybarrows.com and, uh, and uh, you know, opt into my list, uh, you, you know, I'll let, 
I'd let, I'll let you know, know yeah, when it's going to be on. And that's uh, S-Y-D-N-E-Y-B-A-R-R-O-W-S. Dot com. Borrows.com. Uh, right. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's excellent. I know we talked about that before. I'm glad that that's coming to fruition because um, yeah, it's sounds, exciting. Yeah, it's very of course it's taking longer than you know. Oh, we're going to start. You know, we're, we're going to start taping in you know November or December. No, 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 no not happening. You know, it's like when people start a business. I, I I do a lot of startups. I work with a lot of people who are doing startups, and uh, having you know, I've done a number of them. I just for my own self, but. Uh, People are toast. It's unbelievable how unrealistic people are when it comes to starting something new. They just, they just don't, they just don't know how to do it, and they go about it in all the wrong way, and uh, they end up losing money. And, and I'm not surprised when I hear that you know a very large percent of businesses, you know, new businesses fail. It's because they don't get it right from the get go, mm. and uh, and it's it's so important. I mean, I, you just can't believe what the ideas that people have about startups and. Oh, I know. And uh, and by the time I'm done with them, they say, "Oh my, you know, this never would have happened if if it wasn't for you. I would have never known any of these things. I would have done X, Y, and Z." Yeah. I said, "Yeah, I know." And I would <laughs> I'd, 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 I would have failed and lost all my money and never been here. Yeah. So that that's really important if you're going to be a, if you're going to start up to start it out right with some. Yeah, and that's yeah. a that's a that's a good like that's a that's a great win for us and our clients. But it's also something that we fight against because people don't know what they don't know, mm-hmm. and it makes it difficult for them to be like, "Look, I understand that you're walking down a dark alley and you're afraid that there might be like hooligans down there that I'm leading you, but you just have to trust me that you know I'm leading you to greener pastures." And you know, and of course, you can't necessarily guarantee results for everyone but that just you're right there's so many people that are so 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 crazy you mentioned thanksgiving i have a friend she was trying to plan some sort of black friday promotion i asked her she was asking me for some help on it and i um of course i was willing to help her out she's been a very dear friend to me and very very we've got when i talked about sharing resources and that she's been very good that way um and so i was helping her and i was like well how much money do you want to make and she's like well i don't know and she's planning on putting in like two weeks worth of work to get this promotion going and then we did some number crunching and we realized that she wouldn't even make ten thousand dollars if she did it and then you know compared to some of the other stuff she could be doing and then it was like oh like black friday is great but that approach won't work very well and because it's just a one-day event she'd mm-hmm. be much better on doing something that she could promote for longer yes absolutely know, and pull and right and but it's it's just you, you, you know. you're right no your first sentence right you don't know what you don't know yeah and you do better when you know better Oh, yeah. No, people would do the right thing if they knew what to do. They just don't know what to do. And because they don't know that they don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, what was it? What was it? Dick Cheney. There, there are known knowns. There are known unknowns. And there are unknown unknowns. Right. And the unknown unknowns are the things you don't know you don't know. Yep. Yeah. And they're the most – that's the thing. Jim Rohn says, says ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is pain. It is failure. It is death. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if you're ignorant to the things that can harm you, they're going to harm you. Yep. So, uh, no, that's why, again, that's part of why I I started this podcast because I have a mission to create 200 new multimillionaire business owners who solve world problems with entrepreneurship. Part of how yep. I want to do that is interview great people like yourself and get that knowledge out into the world because I really, you know, like, again, b- good businesses solve world problems and make this w- uh, world a better place. We've got some real big uh, 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 chips stacked against us with global warming and all these other things that we have going on. It's, you know, we need people to come up with solutions and we need to support entrepreneurs as best as we can. So um, thank you so much for your time today for sharing my pleasure. Your very interesting My story, pleasure. Your knowledge. 
Um, again, if anyone wants to get in touch with her, it's Sydney, S-Y-D-N-E-Y, Barrows, B-A-R-R-O-W-S. Um, and if you do want to reach out, you should probably reach out now because I'm sure when she's on TV and that, they probably won't have time for anyone. <laughs> and my rates are going to go up. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Eh? Supply yeah, and right. demand. That's right. Um, get in now while you can. You know, and that's before we leave, I just want to drop this little gem because, again, I really value and appreciate our listeners and I really am invested in their success. And you just brought up something that I'd like to mention. It's the income earning ladder. And that's something where generalists at the bottom tend to make the least amount of money. So if you're mm-hmm. just a general dentist, but then if you are a specialist uh, and you're specialized in dentistry, you can charge more because you're specialized and you'll make more than the generalist. Yeah. And if you yeah. train specialists, people assume that you are the one of the top specialists and you know all the mistakes specialists make. So you're a safer bet if I spend my money with mm-hmm. you so you can charge more money still. But the person who makes more money than the trainer of specialists is always a celebrity. And that's because of the law of supply and demand. Uh, Dr. Phil, you know, if you talk to a lot of psychiatrists, uh, you know, at bars or wherever, you know, when no one else is around, they might not speak very highly of him as far as being at the top tier in their profession, but he can charge a heck of a lot of money because of supply and demand. And so yeah. anyone listening, just keep that in mind. If you're, freelance professional or some sort that you want to try to climb that ladder as best as you can so just a parting thought um but yeah again thank you so much sydney i wish you my pleasure really it's been a lot of fun you've reached the end of our interview now first let me thank you for listening i appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know and now i'd like to ask you a couple of questions first what three lessons did you just learn what three aha moments just jumped out at you Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. Uh, You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.